I'm Lieutenant Joe Pangaro. I've been a cop for 27 years. I like to say I got a backstage pass to life. Well, guess what? I got some tickets for you. So come on in, pull up a chair, turn up that volume, and let's go. Chasing Justice is on. Good afternoon, everybody, everywhere. Welcome to Chasing Justice. I'm your host, Lieutenant Joe. But you know that from the beginning, don't you? It says that in the beginning. You know, I love being on this platform. I love having the ability to speak to all of you, spend a little time together. I hope it makes your afternoons uh, a little more enjoyable. Here's some things you can think about. If you're driving, gives you something to do when you're driving. So a couple of things I'm going to get to. If you go to the new platform, which is outstanding, uh, americaoutloud.news. Dot N-E-W-S, news, is the new platform for the station. There's lots of different things you can do there. You can certainly reach out to all of us, the hosts, on the programs, and you can ask us questions about a program. You can ask us questions that have nothing to do with the program. You engage in a dialogue with us. Uh, I would love that. So if anybody out there wants to uh, ask me any questions, tell me anything, you liked something I said, you didn't like what I said, Feel free to go on there, jump on, and, and let's have a conversation. So I took a hiatus from writing columns for a while. Uh, you know, I, I do shows every week because I love to be here. But I stopped writing columns because I, I got tied up in other things. I've written a couple of books. I'm, I'm on my third book now. And I'm actually I'm working on a, um, a fiction book now, not just manuals, police manuals, and this and that. So Kindle, you know, if you go to Kindle, they have a thing called Vella, V-E-L-L-A. And if you go to Kindle Vella, uh, writers can put up uh, episodes of a novel or a story or whatever, and they're trying to make it a, a thing where it can engage readers, right? So you can new writers can get out there. People can read their material and see if they like it and whatever. So how it works is this. You go to Kindle Vella, and you can look up uh, Joseph Pangaro and my first story is called The Taking. And The Taking is a story, uh, it's an action adventure, because that's the kind of things that I lived, the kind of things I did. So it's it's easier for me to write about them and, and give them realism. Uh, in, this, in the story, The Taking, it's about a retired lieutenant. Imagine that. Uh, his name is John Turton. And John lives in uh, Pennsylvania in retirement. And he was from a very active uh, drug uh, and uh, vice unit in the New York State Police. And he retired to Pennsylvania to be, I mean, to New York, to upstate New York, to be with his wife and relax and enjoy life. See, you know, smell the roses kind of thing. And his wife sends him into Pennsylvania to go to a specific tile store. You know, tile, she wants him to tile the bathroom They're in their house. They're going to do that. And while he's heading to this tile store, he's driving on some rural highways from New York State into Pennsylvania, and he comes across an incident of terrorism where a group of terrorists have decided that one of the best ways they could hurt America was to hurt the children. So what they do is they've plotted out a way to take three school buses loads of children out on a field trip with uh, teachers and chaperones and whatnot, and they're going to take them hostage. And retired Lieutenant uh, John Turton stumbles upon this as they're taking the kids, and that's why it's called the taking. 
Uh, and the story follows what happens next after the children are taken, where they're taken to, how they're held, and then what does Lieutenant John Turton do? How does he try to uh, do the right thing and help these kids or what's he going to do? So you can read the first three chapters absolutely for free by going to Kindle Vella, V-E-L-L-A, and looking up Joseph Pangaro, The Taking, and you can read the first couple of chapters. Uh, after that, you know, there'll be more, but after that, you have to you have to pay, and I don't know what the pay rate even is. Um, I was just doing this to get some of my fiction writing out there, but if you like police stuff, you like action-adventure, you would probably like it. I've had a lot of beta readers read it, and they have said they have enjoyed it. I enjoyed writing it, uh, but I'll eventually have the whole thing up there, but it's it's been... It's been fun, so the, the writing is a good thing. Uh, the other things that are going on, and I, I don't mean to dance around so much today, but I, I wanted to start with something that wasn't about all the politics that's going on. Now we're having an amazing season starting. It's beginning, right? In Iowa, they're going to be doing the caucuses. They're going to be trying to pick who's who, and we see that there's been some changes in the polls with um, uh the New Jersey governor dropping out, Chris Christie, he had about 6% or 7% maybe the vote. That looks like it's gone to uh, Nikki Haley. And Nikki Haley now has surpassed Ron DeSantis, which I find, I find really strange because it seems to me that Ron DeSantis would be the obvious pick after Donald Trump. And we talked about this on a previous episode. You know, Trump seems to be the guy that most people want. They want him to have another chance because he's proven. See, that's the thing. He's proven. And I think a lot of people saw Ron DeSantis as, you know, he's up next. He'll be the next guy four years from now. He gave it a try. And, I, I you know, he was real popular in Florida. And it seemed to be a very powerful draw to go for it. Go for it, Ron. This is your moment. Except you had, you know, you have this Trump train in front of you. And the Trump train is hard to get around. If you, you go up against Trump, he's going to attack you. Uh, you know, what does he call him? Ron uh, De Sanctimonious, you know, so he, he, he attacked him pretty hard. going to be some hard things he's going to have to get over uh, four years from now if he decides to run. But it looks like he's now going to be um, in third place. And uh, Revik Rashwami is down in fourth place. And Trump attacked him recently. And he's been a big supporter. He says, I will not go after Trump. I'm not going to say nothing negative. Uh, because I like him, I liked everything about Trump and this and that, but I think I'd be a better president. So Trump did turn around and turn, you know, turn the action on him because that's what happens when you go up against a Trump. You know, Trump, the Trump train is big and powerful. But I find it strange that Ron DeSantis did not catch on more. Uh, Nikki Haley is now a, a clearly in second place, even though she's down by, if you listen to the polls, anywhere from 20 to 30 points from Donald Trump. And that can be... That can be real or that could be – it could be a few points off either way. Uh, but she's down pretty far. But she's clearly number two now past Ron DeSantis. Now, that's only in uh, in uh, Iowa. Although when you look at New Hampshire, it looks like she's ahead of Ron DeSantis in New Hampshire as well. And I said the other day and, – and I stick to this. If, if Nikki Haley is the Republican uh, nominee, then I will support her. Because I think any Republican is better than what our, our friends on the left are going to give us. More socialism, more high prices, more open borders. It was going to be more of the same of what we got with Joe Biden. It could even be worse if you could believe that. Imagine if you had uh, Gavin Newsom 
uh, as the president, what he would do, he just gave uh, health care to all illegal aliens in California. If that is not a, uh, an invitation to come to California and get free health care, free housing, free everything, uh, well, the border's wide open. That's why we have this problem. So I look at this and I, I think I saw an article where Nikki Haley said, hey, Trump, now it's down to you and me. Well, here's the problem I see with Nikki Haley. Even though I said I would vote for her if she's the nominee because she's better than anything that the left would produce. The problem is she is just like uh, Chris Christie. Now, Christie liked her, although he, he had on the hot mic, he did say she's going to get smoked. And he's right. She, she's going to lose to Trump um, just as DeSantis is going to lose to Trump because it's, it's, it's Trump's to lose. But I think she is in the order of a Chris Christie. She's in the order of the Bush family. She's a rhino-ish Republican. Uh, she is a, a big Republican. She is a mainstream Republican. She is part of the Washington culture. She would fit right in perfectly. She would not do very many super conservative things. That's, and that's one of the reasons Donald Trump is so liked, is that whether he's been a, a conservative his whole life or whether he just came to it eight years ago, whatever it is, the fact is he did very conservative things. He, he transformed the economy. He made us strong. He made uh, these other governments around the world take advantage of us, not take advantage of us anymore. He held the Chinese at bay. He had the Russians at bay. Uh, the world was safe, safer than it is today. And that's because Trump is a strong character. So I think when we look at these uh, caucuses and then we look at New Hampshire and then we go down the road to the Carolinas, it's, it's going to be interesting how, how it all plays out. Why Ron DeSantis is not catching on and is not a strong second to Trump, I find that interesting. I find that interesting and I, and I don't really understand it because when I hear him talk, I like everything he says. I like everything he says. I like his record in Florida. He's done the things he said he did. Uh, no doubt about it. Um, what, I, what I think all of them, all of them, all the candidates, uh, when they talk about Trump, the one thing that they're missing you know, and Ron, Ron says this and, and, you know, Nikki says it and they, they all, well, Trump, he said he was going to build a wall and he didn't build a wall. He built a piece of a wall. Well, how come that is? Why is it he didn't build the whole wall? Because he had the Congress against him, the Democrat Congress and Democrat Senate who wouldn't release the money. They sued him. They went all over the place to stop, stop, stop. That's why he didn't finish the wall. Not because he wasn't capable of it. They, they, they used him. He didn't have the power to do it. The Congress come in and cut the money. The Congress come in and sued him. All kinds of things. That's why Trump didn't get that done. You know, so that's a that's really a, 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 a fascist, not fascist. I'm sorry. It's a, it's not a correct argument to say, well, Trump said he was going to get the and Mexico was going to pay for it. Now, did I think when he said that, that he meant the Mexican government was going to write him a check for $5 billion and say, here, Mr. President, we're going to pay for the wall? No, that's not what he meant. What he meant was with tariffs or with other problems or other things he had to do with, uh, with trade or trade uh, sanctions or whatever because of letting people cross the border, that's how he would get the money. Right. That's what I figured he would. That's what he meant when he said, and, you know, uh, Mexico will pay for it. They would pay for it through other fees and other things for allowing that kind of migration. But when we have Nikki Haley saying now it's down to you and me. She is the safer bet for rhinos. She's the safer bet for the establishment Republicans. Uh, 
because she is in that line of establishment Republicans. No doubt. She's like a Bush family. She's, and we're going to get the same results. We're going to get mediocre kind of things, probably a little more conservative than, than the left-wing stuff, but she's going to reach across the aisle. She's going to kiss the butt of Schumer. She's going to kiss the butt of the, the, the Democrats in Congress. She's going to want to you know, be able to say, I got a budget package through, and it's a, it only raises taxes $1.2 instead of one point, you know. And we're sick of that, aren't we? I mean, she, I think she seems like a decent person. I think she was a good governor. Uh, she'd be better than Joe Biden. That's, I can tell you that. But would she be my first choice? No, she wouldn't. I have to say, looking at it, I like Donald Trump. Then I like Ron DeSantis. Uh, then I wish Ted Cruz would get back into it, you know? Could you imagine DeSantis Cruz, you know, and then switch around after eight years and then, you know, Cruz Jordan or something like that? You, you talk about some powerhouses. That would be great. But that, this this whole thing, I, I just don't see it. Now, Ronald keeps saying, and also, we're also going to have, uh, if, if Trump is elected, we're going to have four years of uh, trials and court cases and this. And, well, first of all, again, ask the question, why is that? Are these legitimate? When you talk to free-thinking, clear-thinking individuals who understand constitutionality of things, they look at these cases that have been brought against Trump. Just because you can bring a case doesn't mean that it's a winning case or doesn't mean it's a correct case. You know, I, I look at this, uh, this New York case they have against him. There are no complainants. None of the banks that Trump borrowed money from came forward and said, hey, he, he, he cheated us out of money. Uh, he, didn't, he didn't play right. He overvalued his buildings. He did this, that, and the other thing. There are nobody like, there is nobody like that. There are no victims. All the banks have testified that, oh, Trump was a great customer. He paid back every penny. We made our money on the loans. So there's no victim. So why is this Attorney General Letitia James going after him? Well, if we remember, and you go back when she was running for the office, her promise was, I'm going to get Trump. Not that Trump did anything wrong, but I don't like him. We're all anti-Trump and I'm gonna get him. I'm gonna indict him. I'm gonna ruin him. I'm gonna put him in jail. And she ran on that. And a lot of people in New York are anti-Trump and they, they voted for her. And she followed through on her promise. She, she came up with these charges. They're, they're not legitimate. They even had an expert that has testified uh, in court for, for, the, for the court where Trump is being uh, tried, testified as an expert witness on banking and came forward and looked at all the documents and said, Trump did nothing wrong here. Uh, this, is, this is how this is done every single day. So the reality is he might be convicted of that. He might very well be convicted of it because you get a jury that doesn't like Trump in, in New York where they're very progressive and liberal and they don't like Donald Trump and they just want to keep him from running for president. Uh, they could convict him. And what do they get? It's a civil trial. So she went from wanting $250 million and his inability to conduct business in New York to now $370 million because she wants to shut him down, ruin and destroy his business when there was no victim. Do you understand that? I would say if Trump went through and he made a lot of bad loans and he didn't pay back his loans and he screwed these banks and they didn't get their money, I'd say, okay, well, then that's what the civil system is for. But none of those banks came forward as a victim. She reached into the hat and said, well, I think this is wrong. And now the other thing, when, when you look at the, the way the case is being run, they're saying that Mar-a-Lago is worth $25 million. Now, 
Go and look at property in Palm Beach on the ocean with nothing built on it. Go take a look at what you're going to pay for, I don't know, let's say a two-acre plot on the ocean in Palm Beach, Florida. You think you're going to pay $25 million? No, you're going to pay like $125 million for sand, if not even more. Now you put Mar-a-Lago on there, which is an amazing, absolutely amazing facility. That place is worth uh, upwards of close to a billion dollars, but the court said it's worth 25 or less, 25 million or less. Well, who do, who determined that? They're not they're not going by reality. They're just out to get this guy, which is part of the bigger problem, and that's what people are looking at and going, why why would that happen? And we're all hoping that there's a court somewhere. We're all hoping that there's a court somewhere that's going to jump in here and say, this is ridiculous. You can't do that to the guy. You can't do that to anybody, not to even Donald Trump, but anybody. You, you don't come in and, and just attack them like that. Uh, we, they're using wrong numbers. They have experts to tell you he did nothing wrong. The judge already determined before the case even began, he said, I find that Trump frauded everyone. Now we're just going to find out what he's going to pay in penalties. So the judge made that decision based on him believing that Mar-a-Lago is worth $25 million or less, when it's really worth closer to a billion. So the experts all counter the, the court case against Trump. The banks are not victimized. They said he was a very good customer. He did very good things. Everything's good. This is clearly a political witch hunt against this guy, and he might be convicted. But we're all hoping that that court somewhere steps up and says, this is a witch hunt and get out of here. But you know what? I don't think that exists. Uh, you can, that's, why they, that's why these things are taking place in blue states, because blue states stick together. They don't care about constitution. They don't care about uh, rule of law. They don't care about individual rights. If they've decided to target you, they will come after you with the power of the government, and they will circle the wagons, like our friends on the left always do. They circle the wagons, and if you're in the sights of them, you have a problem. So I find that to be unfortunate uh, for everybody. All right, now, my point with Trump, and, and I'm trying to, to gather my thoughts here today. I'm trying to be calm. I'm not trying to be upset. I'm trying to go into this looking, looking properly. Nikki Haley is, she is clearly the rhino candidate. She is the, the establishment candidate, and she's doing everything she can to get rid of Trump. And now there's talk that if she doesn't win, she might hook up with Joe Manchin, or Chris Christie might hook up with Joe Manchin, and start a start a third party now the idea there would be uh, obviously who would they take votes from well Manchin is is more conservative than he is liberal i think he's probably he's probably a genuine 50 50 kind of guy west virginia now is uh, very very progressive i'm not very progressive very conservative he probably wouldn't get reelected again uh, so he's jumping out and he's going to run on his own because he, he, he's trying to corner that middle of the road that people keep saying that they want. I wish there was a middle of the road person that would be reasonable and do these things. So I think that's what Joe Manchin's trying. And I think Haley would like to jump on that bandwagon, even as VP and run, because that would draw votes more away, I think, from Trump than it would from Biden. Same thing with Chris Christie. Chris Christie has said his mission in life uh, is to make sure that Trump is never president again. Um, so if he were to do something like that, he would take, you know, this 10% of the vote, 11% of the vote that he has apparently nationwide. Uh, while Trump has 50%, he has 11%. If he could pull that 11% away, he keeps Trump from being the president. Uh, are we all going to fall for that? 
Well, we might. You know, we we do we don't do things in our own interest in the la- good interest in the last bunch of years. We make a we've made a lot of uh, mistakes. We're not thinking clearly. We are uh, voting based on all kinds of other factors besides what's really best for ourselves and our families. But that will be seen. So I, I wanted to make sure I I covered that. Now, on the new platform here at America Out Loud, it's AmericaOutloud.news. If you go there, you will see an article I wrote. It's an interesting article. Uh, it was up as a as an op-ed, and it's called, If Life is Precious, Why Do We Kill Bugs? Now, you say to yourself, that seems kind of silly. If life is precious, why do we kill bugs? And I started talking about this on a previous episode, and I didn't want to say anything till it got up on the platform, but it's up there now. And really, the whole idea behind it is looking at the things in life that are important. You know, there comes a time in your life when you start to see things differently, okay? You start to see the world a little differently. You see your position in the world a little differently. Maybe you start to recount your thoughts and you see, okay, I believe this my whole life. Do I still believe it? Do I change my beliefs? Those kind of things. And this whole idea is if life is precious, why do we kill bugs? Was the question that came to my mind. I was sitting in my living room having a cup of coffee. And I saw a centipede, you know, one of those thousand leggers crawling on the wall. Now, I, I know from my friends out there that know all about uh, insects and, and centipedes and all that. Centipede is an animal, right? I understand it's an animal. It's not a bug. For the purposes of our discussion, just like in the article that I wrote, which you can find up on the platform right now, uh, for the purpose, you can replace centipede with spider, right? Because we've all had a spider or some ants in the house with you. And I was sitting there having this cup of coffee and I saw this centipede on the wall. And my first thought was, you know, it will freak my wife out to see this bug. Because for hey, who wants bugs in their house? Nobody, you know, and these things get in, right? People get, you get a bug in a house and what do you do? You, you, you get rid of it. You get flies in the house in the summer. What do you do? You smack them, you get rid of them. You clean them out. Insects are part of, of life. But here's this thing crawling in my house. And I jumped up and I went over with the tissue and I smushed them, wiped them off the wall and I threw them outside in the, in the garbage. And I went back down and I sat in my coffee and, and that's when the thought hit me. I said, you know, here, here is such amazing, such an amazing thing is life. Life is, it's so unique, right? We, we are, we search the universe. Don't we have scientists right now searching the universe endlessly looking to see if there is life out there, is there life in the universe? Um, are there creatures out there that, that that's life other than humanity? Are they out there and what are they? You know, we're seeing the big UFO thing now where they're releasing more and more information. And if you were to see, you know, the Mars rover is running all over and they're looking at little shapes of things they see. And is this extra, this used to be a lake. We could tell it looks like water used to run here. They even see some evidence that uh, there's a spring melt, you know, and where water is locked underground and all that. If we found one microbe, not even a piece of grass or a tree, or a kelp out of the ocean. If we found one living microbe on Mars, uh, the scientific community would lose its mind because then there's life elsewhere, right? Besides just on Earth, how did it get there? How did we get here? It's that bigger question. 
And I started to realize we would be so amazed and so thrilled that there's a microbe alive on another planet that it would change the course of the world. And here we are. We have so much life here on Earth. Uh, you know, go out. Just go out and open your back door and look. Do you have trees? Do you have bushes? Do you have shrubs? Uh, do you have dirt? In the dirt, there is things that are alive. Underground, there's animals. There's squirrels and birds and fish. And there is just so much life. The earth is teeming with life, bacterial life, uh, microbial life, all the way up to us humans that can sit and think and, and, and talk on a radio program. Life is, is absolutely amazing. And if we found life anywhere else, we would lose our minds. So it, it, it's not lost on me, the value of life. Now, I'm a pro-life person. Um, I understand, and I'm not getting into that argument today. Uh, I, I've said before that, you know, people have to make their own decisions. I, I think life is so valuable that we should protect it. Um, a lot of people don't believe that. They want to do what they want, and that's, that's another show. But for me, the concept of life, the, the older I get and the more I see life, and I've seen my children, now my grandchildren, and I see my friends passing away, and I see older people than me passing away, all of that, you start to realize how amazing life really is. And the fact that here's this, this centipede crawling on the wall. If you found a centipede on Mars or on the moon, we would lose our minds. But here it is. It's, there's so much abundant life here on Earth that this thing was an annoyance. I got up, I smushed it, and I threw it out in the garbage. And when I went back to my chair and I sat down and I said, hmm, that's interesting. Um, this amazing life right here, and I just smushed it and tossed it away. So what is the value of life? We think life is so important, but don't we make decisions about life all the time, right? Don't we decide, um, hey, I'm pro-life. I think we should protect babies in the womb and this and that, but somebody does a brutal murder, and I, conversely, I think, well, they should suffer the death penalty for what they did. They did something brutal to someone. They took someone's life. The penalty should be equivalent to that. Now, who am I? Who's Lieutenant Joe to say? Who should live and who should die? That's really a God decision. But for our law, um, I, I'm a human being. And I say that person who did that brutality should pay the ultimate penalty. It's, is it a closure for the family? I don't know. Um, I don't know if it's a closure for the family. Um, it might be. It's probably better than that person lingering in jail and writing letters and, and, and saying things to the family. But that was the purpose. So I, I would want you to go to the platform, AmericaOutloud.news, and look for the article, uh, If Life is Precious, Why Do We Kill Bugs? And give it your spin. What do you think about what I wrote in there, looking at the value of life, whether it's, you know, how do we judge life? Um, a baby is good. A bug is bad. Uh, now, where they are two different creatures, they are both alive, right, on this planet. And it's absolutely amazing that life exists in this universe. Or are we all alone here? Are we all alone here spinning around on this rock in the middle of no, in the abyss of space? And we're here. We kind of forget how amazing and special that really is. And I guess that's what happens to you. Uh, when you start to get a little time on this planet, you start to look at those things and you start to wonder. Uh, it, life is amazing, isn't it? Well, we'll be back in a minute to talk more about this. So just start thinking about that and go read the article. I'll be right back. 
Cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death and disability. Lifestyle changes are critical, but you can also support your heart with concentrated nutrients. Healthy Cell created heart and vascular health to support cholesterol and blood pressure with CoQ10, vitamin K2, resveratrol, and soluble fiber. And Healthy Cell's not a pill, it's a patent-pending gel you swallow. Get heart healthy. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. HealthyCell.com, code OUTLOUD for 25% off. The buildup of spike proteins is dangerous to your health. Global Healing's Foreign Protein Cleanse detoxes your body, removing the spike proteins, allowing your body to repair from within. Formulated by Dr. Edward Group and by Dr. Brian Artis, Foreign Protein Cleanse targets and detoxes spike proteins in the body. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get 15% off using the code OUTLOUD. Global healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. I'm so confused. I don't know what to do. I'm afraid of going to the hospital. My doctor tells me nutrition doesn't work. Trust is earned. We are the Energetic Health Institute, and we want to earn your trust. Natural medicine, holistic nutrition, detoxification, fasting, cellular healing, and so much more. Remember, the best way to be free is to be healthy. So stop being a patient and start being a student at energetichealthinstitute.org. Changing the world one person at a time. Here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. We know that if America fails, the world will fail. It is incumbent upon us to carry the torch for liberty. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. All right, welcome back, everybody. See, pretty heavy, pretty heavy thought process there, right? You know, what is life? How do we value life? What do we think about life? Uh, It's just something that came to me, and I wrote it down. It's not a long article. It's a short article, and I appreciate uh, the great Malcolm out loud thinking it has some value and putting it up. And and that's, you know, what do you think about that? Have you sat and thought about it, the value of life? are we, too, are we too cheap with it? Are we too cheap with life? Uh, do we value it enough? And that's really the question, and, that, and that's why I did it. So part of that is, you know, valuing life is enjoying yourself and staying healthy is important. See how I segued into that, right? I'm a professional radio announcer. Um, I, I talk about the Healthy Cell products. They're here on the network. I find them to be excellent products for your health. Uh, I like them. I buy them. And I have friends that buy them. So I take the immune boost. Go try the immune boost. It keeps you healthy. It's it's really a good thing. Uh, the other thing they have is a sleep product if you're having trouble sleeping, which I don't have a trouble sleeping, but I know people who do. It's miserable if you can't sleep. If you're up all night, I see my friends on social media. Ugh, it's 2 a.m. I'm still up. Ugh, it's 4 o'clock. I can't sleep. You know, get the uh, get the sleep product, the REM sleep product from Healthy Cell. Give it a try. Uh, and then they also make focus factor. If you're starting to get scatterbrained, you're starting to, you know, question, what am I doing in this room kind of thing? Help you focus, right? So the, the healthy cell products are out there. All right. So 
there's a couple of heroes out there. Actually, there's a lot of heroes, and I, I should bring more of them to you. Uh, I'm a supporter of law enforcement. I'm a supporter of all first responders. I'm a reporter. I'm a, I'm a supporter of our military, of the men and women that will sacrifice for us, for all of us, put their lives in danger to protect us, to keep our families safe so that we can live a good, healthy, and decent life. And recently, there was a, a, a not an article, there was a news feed that came out about a trooper uh, in Maine, I believe she was, Trooper Michelle, I can't, I'm going to say her name wrong, Arella, Trooper Arella. And on December 17th, she was on patrol, and a group of children were playing on a lake you know, kids do. I, when I was a kid, I went out on the lake. We went out on the ponds. You know, we couldn't always tell if it was frozen enough. Uh, uh, thank God nobody I know fell through and drowned. But we see that happens every single year. Kids fall through and drowned in these adults fall through and drown in these lakes and streams. So apparently these group of kids were out there playing and this little eight-year-old little girl broke through the ice and fell in. And there was an elderly woman who lived in the area saw this, and, but she couldn't swim. She couldn't go in the water, but she helped uh, the other children who were in the group get off the ice and get into her yard. And the little eight-year-old girl was caught in the water and she was drowning. And this trooper, uh, Michelle Arella, and I hope we're saying her name right, uh, trooper showed up and she ran right down and jumped right in the water and pulled this little girl out basically saves her life. Another trooper, I believe his name was Cote, Trooper Cote, C-O-T-E, he showed up, uh, took the little girl from the, the from Trooper Michelle and uh, administered CPR and that kind of thing. They got her to the hospital and she completely survived, unscathed her, her event because of, uh, of these troopers. And this is the kind of thing that for any of you out there that are supporters of law enforcement and the blue line, you understand this is what our law enforcement people do every single day. These kind of things happen every single day, but we don't really talk about them. You know, I, I like to talk about it because I know these people. I worked with them. I spent time with them. Uh, I had a, a great experience with them. I watched people save lives. I've saved a few lives myself. Uh, over the course of your career, you can't help but be involved in things like that. And it is uh, gratifying and it's part of what the career is about. But I don't think the public knows enough about it. So I wanted to make sure everybody knew about uh, the trooper, Trooper Michelle, and what she did is fantastic. Now, another person I want to talk about, you know, I told you not too long ago, we were talking about school shootings, and uh, I was talking about some of the people I've researched and I know and I've met through all the course of all this. But I told you about little Jesse Lewis, and little Jesse Lewis was a six-year-old who was killed in the Sandy Hook school shootings. And little Jesse Lewis was the little boy that was in the classroom where the killer came in and was shooting all the children with the teacher. And he ran out of bullets. And while he was reloading, Jesse stood up and screamed, run, run, run. And some of the kids ran out of the room. And when the killer reloaded, the first person he shot was little Jesse Lewis. And little Jesse Lewis is my hero because I always ask myself, could I be a Jesse Lewis? I mean, my job is to do that, isn't it? My job is to save people, to step in the breach, so to speak, in the middle of danger and do what's right. Could I do that? Now, I've done it. You know, I've answered my own question. I've done it. It's scary. Anybody tells you it's not, they're lying to you. When you put your life on the line, you may act professionally. You may do what you have to do. Even Trooper Michelle, the trooper in Maine, she said, it was my training and I wasn't really afraid. I didn't have time to be afraid. I just had to react. And I understand that. I, I, I've been in that situation. When you think about it later, you say, 
wow, I could have got killed. I could have got hurt really bad there. But in the moment, and this is what our professionals are trained to do, to see something and take action, right? And that's what little Jesse Lewis did. And I think that's amazing. And that brings me to another victim of school shooting, a more modern time uh, school shooting, uh, Dan Marburg, Principal Dan Marburg from the uh, Perry, Iowa uh, High School. Uh, Principal Marburg was working that day when, no, about a week ago, two weeks ago, uh, one of the students, a 17-year-old, produced a weapon inside the school and started shooting. He killed an 11-year-old boy, uh, shot a bunch of other students, and Principal Marburg apparently was trying to protect the students from the shooter using his body as a shield to try and protect some kids, and he got shot. Well, he didn't die. He lingered, and he lingered for about a week or so, uh, but he just passed away. He just succumbed to his wounds, as they say. Uh, but he gave his life to protect those children. This is a hero, right? Uh, not all heroes are law enforcement or, or first responders or military. Sometimes there are people in other positions, big positions, like being a principal or a teacher, where they care very much about their students and the people that they're there to take care of. And this, uh, this principal, Dan Marburg, should be remembered uh, and revered by everybody. Can you imagine... If something like that happened in your child's school, your grandchild's school, and there was a guy like this, Dan Marburg, who was there to protect them, that would be outstanding. Um, and while nobody wants to die, nobody wants to get killed, the reality is, what do they say? There's no greater sacrifice than to lay down your life for one's friends. Well, I think people that are in that school were his friends. Those children are his friends in a bigger sense of the term, and he laid down his life to protect them. Could you do that? Would you do that? You know, it's, uh, it's one of those things that we, we kind of have to consider. If life is precious, why do we kill bugs? See how you start to connect? This is what happens in Lieutenant Joe's head. I start thinking of these kind of things. I look around the world and I say, how precious was Dan Marburg's life? It was very precious. He was an individual who was somebody's son. He was a little boy. He grew up. He became a principal. And he gave up his life, the one life that he got, he gave that up to protect these children. Children who were not his own familial children, family children, but the children he was there to take care of. And he stepped into the breach and he gave his life to protect those kids. Why would he do that? Why would this guy stand up to protect those kids? Because life is precious and protecting those children is important to the point of laying down your own life to protect their lives, right? Life is precious. And that's what I tried to get to in the article, and I'm trying to loop this stuff all together as we, as we spend time here this afternoon. All right? Now, I mentioned um, the, the police people and, and how good they are. One of the things that we're seeing out there in the world of law enforcement and, and first responders, but especially police, is that Agencies are having record, record, record numbers of people who are retiring, who are just leaving the profession because it's too difficult to do your job. Uh, people want to come after you. They want to indict you. They want to put you in prison for doing your job. Now, when I say that to a civilian, to a person who's not put on the badge and the gun and gone out in the street to do police work, it might sound a little cavalier. Oh, yeah, well, you don't have to go to work and kill people, Lieutenant Joe, so, you know, that's not a big deal. But let me tell you this. 
and we'll get back to the recruiting problem. But here's here's the inside scoop for everyone out there. You want to chase a little justice? Well, I'm gonna gonna give you some inside scoop here. Law enforcement work is unique in that you are dealing with human beings almost exclusively. Now, sometimes you deal with animals. You deal with inanimate objects like bombs or uh, car wrecks and things like that. But for the most part, we're dealing with human beings, people. And people come with all kinds of emotions and thoughts and feelings. And sometimes, believe it or not, people are mentally insane. They're deranged. uh, They're evil. All of these kind of things. And police work is one of the one of the few jobs where specifically you can go out to your job knowing that that day you may get killed or you may end up killing someone. Uh, Now, I know a lot of my friends are expert plumbers. They are great. Electricians. My dad was an electrician. Carpenters. My son, one of my sons is a a carpenter, very skilled young man. Uh, There are doctors out there that do things. We have garbage men. We have airplane pilots. We have all of these people. And when you think about all those kind of jobs, you know, which ones are dealing with life and death of themselves or other people? So I would say, first of all, our our tradespeople, unless you're an electrician and you grab a wire you shouldn't grab and you get zapped, uh, you could die. You don't go to work where it was a potential you could die or kill someone. Right? Now, if you do shoddy work, you might burn the house down. Okay, but that's not what I'm talking about. If you are a plumber or a carpenter, uh, right, and you go to work, uh, you're not going to work to die. You could die by an accident on the job site, but that's not what you go to work and figure you might die. Airplane pilots. I think if I look at, you know, jobs where this could possibly happen, um, airplane pilots, you know, we get on these airplanes. We just saw that uh, that Alaskan Air airplane where the uh, the door blew out and people were in the plane potentially uh, could have caused the plane to crash. They could have been sucked out. All kinds of things could happen. And you know how unique that was? That there was nobody sitting in the seat next to that door that blew out. The person that had that seat missed the plane. That's one of those things. You, that's a story you live on for the rest of your life. I was supposed to be sitting right next to that door that got blown out. Maybe I would have been out, you know. Also a good lesson to always while you leave your seatbelt on at all times. But that's besides the point. But when I look at airline pilots... They know that in their job, while it's very, very safe, airline uh, travel is safer, they say, than traveling in cars, there is a chance that you could die in your profession. There's a chance that that plane could go down. There could be a malfunction, something could happen, a terrorist incident, whatever, and the plane could die. Now, it's very, very rare that it happens, but it does. But that's something that, you know, they train into the pilots and their professionals and all that. And then you have military personnel. And military personnel, you think about their jobs. What do they do? Specifically, they are there to fight, kill, and as the great Rush Lumbo used to say, to uh, to kill people and break things. That's the, the job of the military, to maintain our safety, to stop a, a worse event that goes on. The military personnel know that they could die. If they get deployed, uh, they could run over an IED. They could be shot by a sniper. They can end up in a firefight. They could be bombed. That's a real job where you could lose your life. And then you have law enforcement. Now, before I get to them, let's look at our firefighters. Our firefighters, um, they show up at a burning building and they have to run inside. And we know we lose firefighters. Uh, We know sometimes the the floor collapses. 
Sometimes there's a flashover, it's called. Right. Flashovers are absolutely horrific. They take the lives of our brave firefighters, the men and women who go out there to protect their communities. We have seen in recent times also, we have firefighters in some communities that go out to do their job, to go out and answer their call to their community, and they are attacked by the community. We see this with other first responders, uh, ambulance personnel and whatever, but a lot of times it's fire department people. They show up and they're, they're getting uh, rocks and bottles thrown at them and you go figure it out. But the reality is that that job, uh, like the military, people understand that when they go to work in the morning, that might be their last day. That could be the day that they sacrifice their lives, you know, and law enforcement. So law enforcement officers is probably next to the military, the number one job where everybody on the job, whether you have a street job, a desk job, a detective job, you're working in the prisons, uh, the jails, whether you are a sheriff's officer, federal, it doesn't matter. If you are law enforcement, and you are dealing with the criminal element on an every single day basis, everybody knows and understands very clearly that that day that they go to work could be the day they don't come home. Uh, nothing was more uh, evident of that than when we see these constant news reports of officers uh, killed in a gunfight when they stop a car, if somebody who committed a robbery, uh, or if there's some other kind of event. I know for me personally, when I had to uh, start teaching the officers of my agency how to properly respond to an active shooter event, it was different than any other training we had ever done because no matter what people think in the public who think, well, cops just go out and they want to shoot people every day. They're killing people every day. Like every cop pulls their gun and shoots somebody. Uh, the vast majority, I mean majority, high majority of law enforcement officers never pull their guns out of their holsters uh, for uh, any particular reason. And there's even a smaller percentage of them who actually fire their weapons for any reason. So uh, cops are not out there bloodthirsty killers just looking to go shoot an innocent civilian or a minority because they don't like them. Uh, that, that's just such nonsense. So when the active shooter training evolved from what it was at Columbine, during Columbine, there was complaints, why did the cops take so long? The, the shooting and the killing was over fairly quickly, though it, it went on for a little bit of time compared to what we see today. Uh, but it was over in, in the scope of the investigation. They realized it was over pretty quickly, but it took the officers about eight hours to completely scour the building to make sure there was no other people. They went in and they found the two killers dead and when they went into the library. Uh, that has changed. When we realized that that old-fashioned kind of surround and drown is what they used to call it, surround the, the bad people uh, and then flood the area with law enforcement and then work your way in. But you did very methodical searches. You opened every single door. You searched the room. And what we found is that in active shooter incidents, <clears throat> they actually go much faster uh, down to the point where now it's between, you know, three and 15 minutes and everybody knows it's all over. Whoever's going to die is dead including the shooter. And that's, that's just the reality. So we had to change the game. And in changing the game, we had to teach these law enforcement officers that uh, initially after Columbine, we created the four officers. The first four officers on scene respond to the sound of the gunfire. They go right in, four of them. You get four cops together, boom, and in you go. And then we realized that waiting for four cops was too much. 
And then it was, uh, in a lot of places, it was the first two officers that arrived. And then we finally realized uh, that the speed of these things, that people are, are, that are doing it more or often, that have a mission in mind to do what they're going to do. The very first good guy or good girl gun on scene has got to go immediately to the sound of the gunfire to try and stop that individual from hurting or killing more people. So we've, we've covered this in, in previous uh, little get-togethers, but the, the options the officers have when they go in is if you run up and you see somebody with a weapon and they're shooting at people and they see the officer and they stop shooting and put the gun down, then you arrest them. Uh, if they see the officer and they run and hide and lock themselves in a room, then you contain them in there so they can't hurt anybody else. If they continue to fire, then you apply deadly force to them to stop them from shooting, not to kill them, to stop them from shooting. But you're applying deadly force to somebody. The most effective way, uh, obviously, is, uh, is a headshot because that would stop them immediately. But it's not like on TV. Uh, in a highly charged environment, maybe there's other people around. You don't always get a headshot. So that's why they train officers to shoot for uh, center mass, the biggest part of the body. So hopefully you hit that and that would either stop somebody from shooting or unfortunately sometimes they expire. But the mission, the idea is not to kill them. It's to apply enough force so they stop doing what they're doing. So that's kind of where we've gotten to now. But in that exchange, in teaching those young officers, uh, I remember the first couple of classes of teaching them how to respond to that kind of violence. What I had to tell them was this might be the incident where you die because you cannot not go in. You must go in and find that person firing a weapon and you have to do everything you can to stop them. That is your mission, that is your charge, that is your oath, that is what you're supposed to do. And in that you may die. That may be the incident where your loved one, your family, your friends, your spouse, your significant other, whatever you have in your life gets that folded up flag and uh, you know uh, they, they drop the flag to half mast all over your state for a while. Uh, in remembrance of you, but that could be the sacrifice you have to make. That is different than any other job. And that is what makes law enforcement work uh, a very, very unique job in our country. So that brings me to the, the purpose of, the, of, of this little spiel is that I, I'm reading that there are agencies across the country that are having difficulty holding on to their officers because people are saying, why, why would I do this job? Why would anybody want to be a cop in Portland, right? Where they're out to get you where they, they, they legalized all drugs, they've legalized uh, shoplifting and stealing, where if a cop does their job and it goes bad, uh, the cop is immediately uh, identified as a killer, as a, as a criminal, should be indicted, should be thrown in prison. And let me tell you something about police work. Police work is one of the, also one of the only professions where your plans that you make, how you respond to a call, how you deal with an individual, whatever it is, all of that is, is trained and taught. And here's how you deal with people who are violent. Here's how you deal with people who are mouthing off. Here's how you deal with people who are whatever they're doing so that you have some idea of how, what's the best, most appropriate way to deal with this person or this group of people. And unfortunately what happens is police work has a tendency to go sideways. You know why? The human factor. That's right. The human factor. No, not the officer not the man or the woman officer with the badge and the gun. That's not where it usually goes wrong. Where it usually goes wrong is the other person that they're dealing with. That person decides they don't want to be arrested. They don't think they deserve to be arrested. They're not going to be arrested. They're not going to go to jail, 
right? And they decide to fight or flee or attack the officer. And well, that's, we, we train for that as well to do as best as we can, but put yourself in that situation. You stop somebody, you find out that they're wanted for robbery or sexual assault or some other serious crime. And your job, the reason that you're out there is to protect the citizenry, hold people accountable, bring them to court. So you go to make this arrest. And this person says, well, no, I don't really, I don't really wanna be held accountable for the robbery or the rape or whatever it is I did. So I'm going to flee. And now the officer has a choice. Do they chase them? Do they let them go back into the community where you live, where your family lives? Or do they give chase? Well, that's why police officers give foot chase and vehicle chase. Now, over the years, we have realized that the necessity for a vehicular chase can be limited because somebody runs a red light and they decide to take off on you because they have a suspended license and you go chasing them and they crash into a family of 10 or five or two and you kill those people, that is not worth the effort that was put out to, for those people to lose their lives because somebody ran a red light and they have a suspended license. So I think we, we've come to our senses here and said for minor motor vehicle violations, there should be no pursuits. Don't go chasing people because they took off. You got the license plate and you got a description of the person. Most of the cop cars have cameras now. So they get a video of the, who the person is. You can get them later. You can get a warrant for fleeing, for resisting arrest, whatever you want. We don't have to pursue them. But there are other things, like if somebody went in and killed six people in a school and they take off running, and they get into a vehicle, uh, it's very important that we capture them because someone who's willing to do that, how do you say he doesn't come back three towns later the next day and, and kill more kids in an elementary school? So therefore you would have to pursue them to try and stop them. And that's each, each uh, municipality, each city, each town has different rules on when you can and cannot pursue. But the point is, that's a unique thing. Officers lose their lives in pursuits, trying to capture someone who didn't want to be arrested. Or that person sitting in the car who did a robbery and they pull a gun and start shooting. And then the officer shoots. What are they supposed to do? Or shoot him in the knee, shoot him in the leg, shoot the gun out of their hand. Really? Give that a try. Even our best shooters uh, can't necessarily uh, do that. It's, it's impossible. Uh, if somebody pulls a weapon, a knife, a gun, a bat on you, they could kill you with that. Uh, there's the 21 foot rule. You know, cops all learn this in the academy. If somebody is 21 feet away from you, standing there, and they decide to pull a knife and run at you, they can close that distance and stick that knife in your chest or in your neck before you can draw your weapon and fire at 21 feet. So go ahead, paste that off in your house. How far is 21 feet? And go, guy standing right there, and he pulls a knife out, and uh, he took two steps forward, and the cop told him to stop, and he wouldn't. He shot him. Why did he do that? The guy was 20 feet away. Well, that's why. Because the reality is, the reality of the job, of the work, is that it goes sideways. And we know that within 21 feet, somebody can get to you and kill you. That's why you give them an order, put the weapon down, stop. And they don't. The officer has every right to protect themselves. So this is all leading up to this problem we have with recruiting officers now. Because who wants to come into this job when you're put in a position to protect your life or a third party's life, third party's person, you roll up on, you see something bad happening, uh, and deadly force is being uh, foisted on them in a robbery or some other thing, and the officer takes action. Well, now they're going to be questioned a million times. They're going to be looked at as a killer, especially if the person that gets killed is a minority. Whether or not the officer is a minority doesn't matter. It's law enforcement, and people will immediately assume uh, that the officer, regardless of their background or their ethnicity, just wanted to kill that minority, which is absolutely ridiculous. Um, 
You know, are there bad people? Of course there are. You have to say that every time. Of course there are racist people everywhere. But it's not the majority of law enforcement men and women that I have met in the course of 35-something years now doing this. So because of this, we're having a hard time replenishing our police departments. People are leaving to go be plumbers and go be electricians and go work at the factory. Why? Because you don't get killed there. People don't indict you and take you to prison and take away everything that you have worked for just for doing your job. So there's a Alameda, California is pretty interesting. Their pay, their starting pay for a patrol officer, if you want to be a patrol officer in Alameda, California, the starting pay is $113,000 per year. Now, it's very expensive in Alameda, California. That might be great in, uh, you know, uh, uh, Watertown, uh, Oklahoma, or in the middle of Ohio, make $113,000, you are doing well. But in Alameda, California, you're not doing that well. But they have added a $75,000 signing bonus. So you get $113,000 uh, pay, and then you get $75,000 signing bonus to sign up. Uh, and they still can't get people to take the job. So think about that. Your safety, your family's safety uh, is going to come into play. If we don't have cops, we don't have trained people to do the right thing, it's going to be very difficult to protect you. Uh, so this is a concept that we need to get through our heads, and we will talk more about it as we get together again and again and again here on Chasing Justice. So uh, go, go to the website. AmericaOutloud.news, find my show and send me some comments. In the meantime, be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem. <laughs>